Patients Podcast. I am your host and two-toed sloth lover, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one's ever heard of. What is a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a person who acts in service of a future physician. Thank you. That voice you just heard is Aaron Whalen. Aaron has been a professional role player since 2006, as well as a standardized patient since 2009, primarily at George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences. She has been offered multiple training and facilitating opportunities at GW over the course of those 13 years, including developing and facilitating communication skills workshops for medical students and training SPs for highly emotional cases. In 2020, she founded her company, Compassionate Coaching, where she uses role-playing and playback theater to help teams bond and improve their communication skills. Her favorite role, by far, is mom to her eight-year-old son, Ronan. Welcome, Erin. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy you are here. I'm so excited about our topic today because you're just the best one to talk about it. And you're such a kind, wonderful person. As far as I remember, I feel like I've known you since I started SPing. Does that yeah. sound about right? I, I started, think so. You started I, in 2006? 2009. 2009 as a standardized patient. And yeah. I started in 2008, but really got into it more in 2009. That's yeah. Similar that sounds, so yeah, we were like, we're like contemporaries. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty cool. So we've known each other for quite a while yeah. doing this kind of thing. And I've had the pleasure of getting to not only work with you as a standardized patient for many years and, you know, as in the training rooms and such, and, but then eventually leading to, which you talked about in your bio training for some of these highly emotional cases. And that's our topic today is training emotional cases and also kind of leading into how that transitioned into your now compassionate coaching. So I'm just going to go ahead and open up to your perspective. You know, how did you get into training these emotional cases to begin with? I was invited to kind of shadow, I would call it, some of the training processes for a case that you and I have both done that involves breaking bad news, right? So like the, the challenge of how do you break bad news to a patient and how do you do it in a way that they're actually going to hear you and that they're going to know that you care about them. So I started shadowing that maybe it was like 2014 or something like that. And then eventually got to the point. And I think it was just because, as you know, a lot of these universities who are doing so many different projects, like they only have so much bandwidth. And so they need to like sometimes bring on other people to take on certain projects. So I think I was partially just there to help them <laughs> because sure. they were like, we need help. And I had already been shadowing that one case. And so they just started, you know, 
adding a little bit more to my plate? And I gladly said yes. And I was so grateful for that opportunity to just learn from a training perspective, right? Because learning as a standardized patient is one thing. And then when you step into that role of trainer, it's crazy. It's humbling. It's really humbling, but it's also just a huge perspective shift, I would say. What did you find to be the most challenging part of it once you started training? You know, I'm going to be real honest. I think part of it was since I did come from like from the ranks, like here I am, like a standardized patient, you know, we came in at the same time and, and then to be in this leadership role felt a little funny. It felt a little awkward. I remember like doubting myself a lot and thinking, you know, is that person really my friend or do they just want to like get asked for the next gig? You know, like, wow. Yeah, totally. Totally. I had those thoughts. Yeah. I think that was probably the hardest, you know, to be like, how do you navigate that? Like, I'm proud to have come like from the ranks to say like, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, I really know what it's like to be in your shoes. I've been in your shoes last week. I've been in that gown last week. Like, I know what it's like, right? Um, But then there's this other part that's like, oh, well, I'm no better than you are, right? There's this like a little bit imposter syndrome, a little bit, how do you be a leader and still do right by people? That had some tough moments, I would say. Sounds like it. And that was a really interesting answer. Honestly, I didn't expect that. And so mm. thank you for sharing that. But yeah. I can totally see where you're coming from. Of You've been working with all of these people. And now all of a sudden, they have to listen to you. You're in charge. Mm. And that can be a real, like, will they listen to me? And if yeah. any sort of behavior change may be reflective in a different way. Did you find that just following up on that, that there was a behavior change with people? I don't think so. I think it was all in my head, to be honest. (laughs) 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 You know, having those moments of being like, are, is this like, are they, do they like me? (laughs) You know, we all have that feeling. I think once I got into my groove, I think I could look back and say, no, there wasn't really a behavior change. Mm -hmm. And I tried to stay as, in the SP role as often as I could as well, because I think that was important to like not get too removed from that because I wanted to stay in the feeling of like, oh no, this is what it feels like. Like, this is what it feels like to have that little amount of time to give feedback, or this is what it feels like to study this eight page case, you know, with like two days notice. I wanted that experience so that I could remember and not be far removed from that. So it was also like, you know, Hey, I'm SPing this week, but next week I'll see you. And like, right. I'll be running the PowerPoint. <laughs> so it's very cool. Actually. Yeah. Like it's kind of like the actor's director, if you will, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it also, the way that you were talking about it kind of reminds me of how it must feel to be maybe a casting director in some ways of like, does this actor, are they actually my friend or like, or are they just Mm. getting friendly with me so I can think of them more for roles of the same ideas, like more SP work, ask me back. Such an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I would love to hear from other SPs who've trained with you because I can say from my experience that 
everyone who's trained these emotional cases have been great, but you brought a really special presence to it. We would show up for some of these trainings. You would have brought cookies, <laughs> um, other yummy things, always to share. It was just incredibly considerate and really took your time with the trainings. And then also you would observe, you know, these were typically in small group settings. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just a student and the SP in there with you <laughs> in the corner of the room. It was like a large or a small group in a room where you could kind of sit back and watch. One thing I also just thought was really, really fantastic was that you gave the opportunity for the SP to get feedback from you. Mm-hmm. And not only did you give them the opportunity, if you were able to observe them, that is, I guess. But you also asked how they preferred to receive the feedback. Hmm. I remember this very well. You know, we'd prefer it privately or in this room where there's other people doing their own thing. And I just thought all of those elements were very, very thoughtful and perhaps compassionate, Hmm. (laughs) one might say. (laughs) Um, So I just think, you know, it was such a gem for you to to have that opportunity and for us to have that opportunity to work with you as a trainer. And at least from my perspective, and again, this is one person, but I never felt like there was any sort of weirdness of like, oh, Erin's training now? Who does she think she she is. <laughs> um, it always felt very, very like you were meant to be there and oh. you were doing it with real detail and grace. And oh, wow. um, yeah, so so for what it's worth, I just, I've always felt that way. And so I think it's important that you, for you to know that as well. Oh, Katie, that's so, so sweet. I'm just, and seen. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it's true. But it's true. <laughs> so no, you've done some, you know, really emotional cases. You've also mm. trained some, I think there were some like boundaries cases, mm. things that aren't quite as emotional, but are still in that communication. Yeah. How was that for you compared to training those highly emotional cases? Well, I have a strong preference for the highly emotional cases. Mm-hmm. So the ones that were just more tricky felt just actually, yeah, harder. I would say, I would say harder because I think that, you know, at least for some of the the things where it's like, oh, clearly this person needs comfort or clearly this person is having a hard time. They are sad. They are grieving. They are feeling hopeless. Like you have to break bad news. Like that feels easier in a way because it's such a clear emotion. It's such a clear experience. But if you're dealing with something that is not as straightforward, right? Just a little bit more complex of a situation that maybe they're a little manipulative or maybe this patient is, you know, a little narcissist or, you know, whatever it is. I think that there's no real quote unquote textbook for that. Not that there's a textbook for something like breaking bad news, but we have some pretty good guidelines, right? We have some data and some studies and some processes that work. But the other thing is felt like, I like answers. Like, you know, I like, I like to be able to go through my checklist and be like, you know, and you did these eight things and and you get a gold star. But I think the other ones, the more nuanced ones were, were a lot tougher to train or to, or to do, to be a standardized patient for. When you've done all of these, how many years would you say you were training? You said from like 2014, you started shadowing. Yeah. I want to say I did the trainings for like six years, I think. Yeah. About six years. And then, and then I also, I've been doing these communication skills workshops since probably around 2014 and I'm still doing, they're not frequent, but they're consistent handful of times a year, once or twice a year, maybe. So how did you develop your training style? Life. I think Katie, I think I just like, I've been very honored to have some really good mentors and teachers and instructors and 
just like great people in my own life. And I think I've just pulled awesome things from awesome people. And I've just stolen a lot. (laughs) I've just taken the things that I like. I try and model too, right? Like if we're talking about feedback, you know, and we're saying to the students, we either, you know, use a permission statement. Like I would like to offer you some feedback now, or do you feel ready to move to that part of our conversation? Whatever it is, I try and model that too. So for instance, you know, I would ask, how do you like to receive your feedback? So I think just always trying to flip it on its head, right? And say, if this is what I'm teaching, if this is how I'm training people, I should make sure I'm doing that too. Like I should make sure I'm using transition statements. I'm using permission statements. I'm actively listening. I'm using open-ended questions. So I think it made it easier. Whatever I was teaching, I would just flip it on its head and make sure I did. And then just picked great things from great people as I've gone through life, whether they're like directors, you know, in the theater world. I was a teacher right out of college. I was terrible. I was an elementary school teacher. I was the worst. Really? Oh my gosh. It was bad. It was so bad. I know you're like, oh no, Erin. No, no. It was bad. (laughs) Did you go to school for teaching? No, no, I did not, Katie. I did not. I was ill-prepared. I was not prepared. I was not prepared, but I had this great mentor, right? And so it's like, you go through these experiences where you're like, well, that wasn't a good fit, but this person taught me how to, you know, have confidence or this person taught me how to really step into my own or whatever it is. I I think I've just kind of pulled a lot of things from a lot of great people. That makes sense. You just pick and choose and imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? So totally makes sense. Yeah. Then you do what works for you and is authentic to you. And then I could tell you if I were to do training like you, I would be like, I'm going to take a page from Aaron's book and, and create. I really would. And I still wouldn't be the same as you because I'm not you, but it's that idea. So hopefully there are people that have been in your trainings that may someday train themselves and could actually take some of those tactics and skills that you used. Mm -hmm. Um, That's nice, Katie. Thanks. I imagine that would happen. Now, because sometimes you've had the opportunity to observe Mm -hmm. some of these cases that you had just trained, right? Particularly, let's talk about the highly emotional ones. How is that for you when you're in the room observing? That's a great question. I mean, it really runs the gamut, right? It just depends, right? Because you've got the faculty in the room, you've got the students, you've got the SP. One thing I did start doing, which I think was really important, was I started asking the standardized patient, like, especially for the really emotional cases, like if there's anyone who does not want to be observed today, like I get it, just let me know so I don't end up in your room. So I think once I've asked that permission of the SP, it felt like a pretty safe bet that like they were okay. You always just feel like this fly on the wall that you don't want to buzz too much, like you just... <laughs> you, really don't. you just want to you know be as unobtrusive as possible but you also don't want to miss anything I would take these like furious notes just like notes 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 and then you felt bad because at the end you know you wanted to offer feedback and I was like oh if I didn't get that exact thing that you said you know as I observed you like I can't remember it was about the time when you guys were talking about alcohol and then they said something and you said something and it was really good <laughs> like that's not specific like I was literally in the back of the room with 
my notepad and my pen. Like I could have just written word for word, but yeah. So it felt like pressure sometimes, but it just felt like an honor to be there. And I think eventually people would start forgetting I was there. So it really did seem like this incredible opportunity to be that fly on the wall. Like how often are we observing a situation, but not participating in it? And it was, it was really enlightening. In fact, that's where I came up with, it was something I would share with the Synergy's patients in training a lot was how self-deprecating the students would be about themselves. The trainings that I would run were very specific about feedback and how the way we offered feedback, we never wanted to imply that we were evaluating the students. The students I found were often really evaluating themselves. And they would say these very negative things about themselves. They would say things like, I just totally messed that up. I can't believe I completely forgot how to do that. They would just say these very negative things about themselves. And, you know, people in the room would look at, or they wouldn't even realize that these comments were being put out into the room. So I started notating those things. That was really enlightening to say like, wow, I just observed, you know, five times as we can hear the 17 things I heard students say Mm. that were negatively evaluating themselves. So to be able to kind of show that Mm -hmm. we can understand as standardized patients where where these students are coming from or not even realizing it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm just curious, has there ever been, now this may not be the case with the highly emotional case, but when you've observed or been in training that's been something funny that's happened? I do remember it was one of those events where it's like, it's not the typical, you know, medical school student. It might be a visiting nursing something where, you know, they're coming and they're, they're testing out basically one of the students who was trying to pass their nursing exam. And she must've just been very nervous and very just scared because she kept getting like the directions were mixed up based on the test she was doing. So for instance, like, you know, the H where you're like, you know, I can't remember the name of it. Follow my finger with your eyes only. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So she, she was like trying to give the instructions for that, but it was actually for the like peripheral vision test. And she didn't get either either direction or test, right? And you know how they're very specific. They're like, do whatever they tell you. If they tell you to like not move your head, like don't move your head. If they say move your head, move your head. So she was like, she was like doing this test and she's like, okay, I want you to follow my finger. (laughs) She's doing this and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like trying to go back and forth. For anyone that cannot see, Erin is kind of see. wiggling her fingers and the peripheral vision behind her head, so which is a different <laughs> test than the H test. So. Right. And you're like not supposed to move your head at all. And right. you're supposed to just be very still. And I was moving my head over. And then I remember her doing like the, the thing where you're supposed to flip your hands over, right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to do it very fast. Some kind of, I don't know, I don't even know if it's like a joint thing or if it's like a neurological thing, but they want you to flip your hands over and over over and over. And then I did that. And I'm like, cool. And then she's like, now your feet. I can't <laughs> like I'll try I think I, I think I tried yeah, she yeah, told I'm, me to so I did it but I'm gonna do it right now yeah you really can't you really can't flip your feet over yeah <laughs> yeah that's that would be maybe somebody out there can but uh, I'm I not. mean <laughs> could be maybe in Cirque du Soleil yeah <laughs> maybe I also want to touch base on you know how that all of this training led into your compassionate coaching tell us a little bit about that I had been thinking about coaching for a while. 
I've been curious about the industry and trying to figure out, you know, is this a good fit for me? Because as freelancers, you know, you just, sometimes you just kind of go a little down this path or you go a little down this path. And so it was something that I had thought about for a while. And when the pandemic hit and most slash all of the jobs went away, (laughs) I was like, maybe this is the time to look into this. I've got this free time. Like why don't I look into coaching? Mm -hmm. I did get it like a coaching certification and it was life coaching, positive psychology coaching. And so I was, I was doing that and this was like November, 2020. So it was like two years ago. And I was doing like the life coaching thing. I was doing the, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach and I can help you reach your goals thing. And I did that for about a year, a little over a year. And then I was like, wait a minute, like I have this entire skill set that is complementary to coaching, but it's very niche. It's very specific. And that's the communication skills coaching. Cause like so much of what we do as standard days patients is we're helping these future doctors communicate better. Right. And so I was like, why am I not doing that? So then I started incorporating professional role-playing, which is similar Mm -hmm. to standardized patient work and a lot of my facilitation skills and my training skills that I've basically learned on the job over the past several years and then playback theater too. So I, I started taking all of these good things that I've learned as an actress And I've taken my favorite components of all that. And I say, you know, the world needs this. The world needs more empathy. The world needs to learn how to talk to each other. Like we all just need to learn how to talk to each other and to listen well, how to give each other feedback, how to speak compassionately to each other. Like that's what I do now. So it felt like a culmination almost of all the skills I've been learning as a standardized patient and an actress. That's really cool. That you're like, look at all what you can bring individually mm. by all of the things that have, you know, have come before mm-hmm. uh, to make you you and to give you that skill set. So how has that been then once you decided like, wait a second, I can do this. What happened after that? And it's not like, oh, then it was easy, but it was like, <laughs> it was easier, right? I wake up excited like every single morning to like get going on my business. Yeah, let's do this. Like, let's go, let's go help the world be more empathetic. Like, this is awesome. I mean, I'm a total introvert, like total introvert. I am networking. I am going to like networking events all the time. So I think it just changed my motivation, right? I know this, like I can do this. And so I'm ready. Like I'm ready to bring this to the world. It's there's no imposter syndrome there. No. Well, there is, but is there? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's less, less, less imposter syndrome. I think that's, you know, par for the course, you know, whether it's for women, you know, if we get a little too loud or we get a little too big for our britches, right? There's a sense of society says like, no, maybe you should, you know. Yeah. Tone it down a little bit. There's always a little bit of imposter syndrome there. But for the most part, it's fading. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad yeah. to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so you. What is like a typical client for compassionate coaching? That's a good question. So my ideal client, I really want to bring this work, this work of like really diving into bringing in professional role players to help people practice having really hard conversations, to bring in playback, to help them really bond and connect and share on a deep level. 
the people I really want to bring that to are people who work with the grieving and the dying. So for instance, last month, I was really honored to offer a live educational session for a conference. And that conference was the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. And so that was just like a dream come true that just like, I'm still in disbelief. That was just phenomenal. So like that, if I can help people who are at the bedside of people who are taking their last breath, like that is my ideal goal. That is the the person who I want to help and and bring this work to. That's incredible. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It is. It feels important. I mean, that said, like we all need communication skills. It's an easily transferable type of work for anyone. But like if I had my druthers, like it would be them. Yeah. Wow. And so you were part of this conference and Mm -hmm. hopefully you were able to communicate that with the people that were there. Yeah, it was powerful. It was powerful. I brought in two role players. We called it Ready, Set, Role Play, Infusing Empathy into Your Work. So yeah, so I facilitated and then people got to practice having these conversations with a role player so they could see how was it to have this challenging conversation but you're doing it in this like safe, low stakes environment. You're not having the actual conversation with the actual person. You get to practice. With compassionate coaching, is the idea then to also bring in role players if you had a one-on-one client? I have done it both ways. Yeah. I have done one-on-one clients where it's just me. Sometimes it's a little tricky, but if I feel confident that I can pull it off and it's going to help them, I will even go into role play mode as I'm with them. It's really helpful though to have that separation, right? Like I'm either coaching you or I'm role playing with you. But then I also have had one-on-one conversations that are actually two-on-one because then I bring in a role player and I'm coaching the person and they have the opportunity to practice with that role player who's there to just portray whoever they want to practice having that conversation with. That's really cool. Yeah. What a great use of the simulation and the role playing within the coaching environment. That's yeah, really, really neat. And I imagine it helps the people that you're working with very much. So I think so. I think I'm (laughs) onto something. (laughs) I think you are. I think there's that compassionate coaching is working. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story with us and stories with us as well. (laughs) Really appreciate you being our guest today and talking about all of this. Some places that we can find you is at your website, compassionatecoaching.org. This will be in our show notes as well. And also on Instagram for our social media people at Erin, E-R-I-N underscore compassionate coaching. So that's at Erin underscore compassionate coaching. That'll be in our show notes as well. Thank you so, so much, Erin. I really appreciate you. And I wish you all of the best in your coaching. I know it's only going to go up from here. (laughs) Katie, thank you so much. I had a really nice conversation with you. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. And you're welcome back anytime. (laughs) (laughs) And to everybody else, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Standardized Patients Podcast. Thanks to Randy Sharp for the use of our song, Mr. Garita. You can find their music at Artlist. Thank you to Catherine Babalek for the behind-the-scenes work, audio post-production, and cover art. That's our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work. (laughs) 